At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. You are listening to the Bowhunter Planet Podcast, Season 6. The podcast is supported by Scent Crusher, Scent Off Game On, Tinks, Cat Work Truck, Victory Archery, Thorn Broadheads, Shadow Hunter Blinds, Cobra Archery, Burris, HHA Sports and HHA USA, Reveal Cellular Cameras, and Deer Camp Coffee. Enjoy the show. Hey guys, welcome to the Born Plant Podcast. Myself, Dave Thomas, I along with Tim Mazzarana, and we are actually joined as well by Jay Dumas and Jamie Nopoom tonight. So it's kind of a full house. Full house, uh, yeah. As far as Beach P is concerned. So kind of exciting. Jamie, how are you doing? You haven't been on here in a while. Uh, well, Tim and I did some last week, but yeah, just. That's just right. Working. Yeah, I forgot. Just working yeah, for yeah, the yeah. man. Yeah, well. 12 hours good. a day. Are you excited <laughs> for your, uh, are you excited for Turkey? Well, yeah, if we have a place to go. Well, it, sounds, it sounds like we will after we get done talking to uh, to Dave here, man. <laughs> yeah. Dave from uh, Raised Hunting, how are you, sir? I'm doing great. Good to see you guys or visit with you guys. Yes. Too, this, is, this has been a fun experience for us, this whole uh, podcast, because of these reasons. Uh you know, to be able to connect with everybody else in the industry and have conversations and see each other and talk and learn a lot, you know, on both sides of it, you know, just because there's so many different things everybody's doing. It's always hard to know, like, what is so-and-so doing or what are they doing? So it's really nice to just take a step back, you know, have a conversation, see what everybody's up to, you know, what they're doing. Now, you guys have been doing this for a long time. And I see on your website, it says uh, season nine looks like is what's coming up here for you guys. So obviously, that's a lot of content over the years and a lot of a lot going on with your show. So I guess, you know, before we get into like all the questions that we might have and all that, can you kind of just run us through race hunting, like how it started and what it's all about? You don't have enough time on this podcast for all that. So. <laughs> oh, we'll make time, my friend. I got some time. <laughs> or we'll just cut you off in the middle of your sentence. What are the two? <laughs> we'll figure it out as we go. Dave's sitting there with his door kicked open. I can't tell if that's to the outside or is that just to another room because it's 33 degrees Basement. with 40 mile an hour winds blowing here. So <laughs> no, I wish it was outside. You know, raised hunting kind of got sparked. I don't know. I mean, I'd like to tell people it started 10 years ago, you know, nine seasons. But honestly, it probably started when I was like six. I'd just been ate up with hunting my entire life. And so my career, I got into the fire service when that was my full-time position. And, and that's where I retired from. Um, I retired early when I herniated three discs in my back. Mm. And so 
my wife says to me, what are you going to do now? You know, you're not like, I, I can't do that, but I had to, I needed to work. I was only in my forties and I'm like, I got, I don't, I'm not done, you know? And so anyhow, I ended up coming out of there and we decided at this point, I, I grew up in Virginia. That's what most people don't know about the raised hunting family is I grew up in Virginia, started my fire service career in Arkansas, moved from Arkansas to Montana, lived in Montana almost 20 years. And then now we've been in Iowa uh, 11 years now. So I've kind of done the full gamut and um, we use that to our advantage with raised hunting and um, the fact that I feel like I can relate to a lot of different folks. I relate to the East Coast guys that are hunting public land. I grew up hunting Virginia and the Appalachian Mountains and the Blue Ridge Mountains and swamps and I've hunted the South. I know what it's like to wander through the swamps and then I kind of spent 20 years chasing elk and mule deer, pronghorn, you know, everything that you can think of out West. And now I live in what I would tell you is what I think may be the best whitetail hunting in the world, um, right smack dab in the middle of Iowa. So to say that David Holder is blessed would be an understatement. And I think God would vouch for that for me. And I don't know why he's given me what he's given me, but I'll take it. Uh, the only thing that I can try to do is do what we do with raised hunting, with raised at full draw, raised outdoors. It's all about trying to, I want to show people and, and hopefully portray to people what hunting truly is, meaning what it looks like, what it feels like, not what it is. Not, it's not killing an animal. It's, there's way more to that. And that was what really um, our goal for raised hunting was we felt like every hunting show had done a good job of portraying what the a day in the life looked like but were people really getting across the emotion that feeling of spending seven days trying to play a chess game with an elk or a year and a half or five years playing that chess game with a white-tailed deer um, down to the watching your grandson or granddaughter or your father or your son harvest something kill something for the first time and we wanted to capture that emotion and show that to people that maybe hadn't gotten the right taste of what hunting was and that's in a nutshell that's who we are and what we're doing that's i mean that that right there is the essence of what we love i mean it, it is about really portraying the the real aspect of hunting and bringing new hunters in and showing the joy that you can have as a new hunter and that's i mean it's everything that everybody wants to see. And I think that's why you've been so successful. Right. And, and, and not only that, but what you said about being able to relate to everybody. Um, obviously though, you've never hunted Michigan because if you think Iowa's good, let me just, <laughs> let me just tell you something, Michigan. Wow. I mean, yeah. the nineties, the, the, the hundreds, the one tens and the one twenties we have are just absolutely amazing. <laughs> hey, hey, Dave, I'm a career firefighter also. So, uh, that's cool. I didn't know that. I didn't know that yeah. about you. Yeah. Um, but anyways, I was just explaining to these guys before he came on how my schedule benefits my hunting. <laughs> yeah. yeah I, was, I was the guy that knew how to like trade with all the guys in the summer. There you and go. <laughs> so I would take off the entire month of September, October, November, pretty yep. much. Yep. You know, um, it's a great career. It is something that you probably don't get enough um, attaboys for, for no. what these guys are doing, you know, um, because you do put your family on the back burner to some degree. And yep. every time you walk out of the house, wife's wondering, is he coming back? You know, yep. there's, there's that 
factor to it that is always there. So my hat's off both to the full paid and the part paid and the volunteer guys. And, you know, I just have a lot of deep respect for our military and our police. My dad was a career police officer, 38 years. And so it just runs in my family, I guess, to give back. And, that, and that's where Raised Hunting, again, all these lessons and things that we've tried to bring across came from the, um, probably from the, the teaching element that I got in the fire department. I, you know, I retired as an instructor and worked for the state as well in Montana, not just for our department. And I've always enjoyed helping people get better at what they're doing. And hunting's no different for me. I just do it in a, on a different level now. It's awesome. Tell, tell us about the raised hunting crew. Like, cause it's, it's kind of a family thing, isn't it? It is. It's a, you know, a hundred percent family. So I guess I can be brutally honest, you know, my oldest son, I can't stand him. He drives me nuts. You know, <laughs> uh, youngest one is just a hair better for another year. No, they're, they're 26 and 21 now, which a lot of people, when they meet them, if they've watched a lot of people feel like they've watched Warren and Easton grow up on television, you know, um, and so if someone hasn't, they've only seen the first few years and then all of a sudden they meet them. Warren's, I don't know, 210 pounds, 215 pounds. And he's, you know, built like a brick, you know, bleep house. <laughs> I mean, he's a big boy. And then his brother's almost six foot tall, tall, linky, but um, feel like that hunting has been a huge part of raising our boys. And I think that's what Karen would tell you. She's kind of been the backbone you know, the, the mom that got to learn her, learn everything about her kids in the woods, you know, she'll tell you that there is no better place to find out what's going on in your son's life than climbing a tree stand and spending the next six hours together. That's true. Things, things are going to get talked about. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. And uh, maybe I need to take a page out of your book and actually let my wife hunt with me. <laughs> would she want to is the question yeah that's, that's the question. another question that is another question i don't know but, but no i'll, I say, I'll, like I'll say yeah yeah right <laughs> like i'll i'll say this there, there's few shows when i'm flipping channels that i'll stop and watch and your show is one of those just because of the things that you, you talk about and the the whole family dynamic and the whole story it it just seems like it's not about just going out i i gotta kill something like I keep seeing a lot of guys where, you know, it's, it's freak out time. I, I got to kill something. I got, Whoa, let's, let's enjoy what we're yeah. doing. Yeah. And I think that's what I really like about you guys and what you do in the whole process. Yeah. It's funny that you say that Jamie, because um, when you go, so, so David, when you go and you look at your recent videos that you put out around Turkey and, and um, how to shoot them and where to shoot and all that kind of stuff. I wouldn't be surprised if when you look at the number of views that you have, every single one of them tracks back to me. I've been, <laughs> I've been watching those videos over and over and over again because tur in Turkey's in season right now. So, it, you know, everybody's talking about Turkey and all that kind of stuff, but it, but the way that you laid out where to shoot a Turkey, how to shoot a Turkey and why you shoot a Turkey where you do um was a little bit eye-opening to me i'm not gonna lie i mean i watched jamie shoot and um miss i watched jamie shoot and Listen, not recover i I've watched it. jamie sit <laughs> and not shoot um but the way that you kind of laid it out i mean i think Jay, honestly jamie you need to watch his videos before we go i mean do i need to move the camera to my wall of turkey fans <laughs> 
Because well, I don't know, I don't know if you have a wall of turkey. I don't know if I believe those are shot with a bow, though. I, I, I would probably claim that those are probably. It's shot actually with on. Shot. It's actually on video. If you want to check mm -hmm. it out, I'll send you the link. Well, but but <laughs> to, I, I make a lot of jokes. But to that regards, um, you know, with turkey season coming oh, up and everything yeah. like that, can you give us some kind of the overview of what those videos were about in regards to shot placement and that kind of thing, and why you do what you do in regards to the shot placement? It's a. Uh, in Jamie's defense, I've been there. I mean, I've been there. I've wounded a turkey. Don't defend Jamie. You know, Don't defend him. <laughs> I, I just got tired of it. I got tired of, you know, I'm like, why does this not work? If you hit a deer in the heart and lungs, typically they expire. We don't have issues with it. But how is it that I can crush a turkey? I mean, pinpoint where the targets tell me to, and yet I'm not finding them. And so what I developed one day by accident, I accidentally shot low and this turkey went down and so then the next time that i kind of moved my aiming point down a little bit i thought well maybe i've been aiming and just not quite the right spot next one goes down all of a sudden warren's like dad how many turkeys have you killed now with your bow and not lost one and i said i don't know we started counting things up because i track everything i'm a I'm, I'm a guy that keeps track of everything i've hunted with my kids i keep track of the dates and the times and oh that's tough man I don't know if I can keep track of the failures. I tend to forget them. You know, and, and I think the failures, though, are worth more than the successes. Or at least I learn more from them. Um, but before we knew it, I had 22 turkeys that I hadn't lost a turkey with my bow. And so Warren convinced me, Dad, you need to show people what this is called. Because I started calling it the shiny spot. Um, and the shiny spot is a spot on a turkey that's on the wing. When they're strutting, they, they don't have to be strutting. But it lines up where you shoot them perfectly through both legs. And by doing that, you break a turkey down. And, and I know this statement sounds crazy, but it's true. If you break the legs on a turkey, they can't fly. And what I mean by that is they cannot get enough lift. They can't get enough air underneath their wings. And even if they do fly, when they hit the ground, they're not going anywhere again. You'll, and, but they don't leave. And so therefore, you start recovering all your turkeys. And so that's kind of what became... Um, and it's the norm for, I mean, they're like us going on this trip, you know, it's not uncommon for us to kill 10 or 15 birds in a, in a spring, all with our bows. Um, Happy and, Thanksgiving. Yeah. <laughs> and, and when you love to eat them, like we do, and we go through a bunch of them. So um, I enjoy it. And so then again, it was just another one of those things that, Hey, if we can share this with people, cause obviously we're, we're must be doing something right. Whether we got the right blinds, whether we got the right decoys, what, we're getting this down to where we're doing this, you know, over and over again. Yeah, my mind was literally blown listening to your video around shot placement. Never once, and we do a lot of podcasts, we do, you know, live shows with our, with our viewers and that kind of stuff. Never once has it come up about lowering your shot placement on a turkey to break the legs. Yeah. And I, I, I mean, it, it was, it was, it makes perfect sense. Because when you, you, you think about when a turkey takes off, what's the first thing they try to do? They try to jump in the air, right? Because they try, they, they need that, they need that lift in order to get the wings off the ground so that they can fly the short distance that they're going to fly. And breaking their legs removes the ability to get off the ground because their wings are so long and clumsy, they just can't do it. Yeah. And then when you combine that with, if you shoot them in the shiny spot, you break both wings and both legs they're not going anywhere. Yes, occasionally we got to wring their neck, but if you can hit them right where 
the video shows, and I won't pinpoint it here. Maybe people will go watch the video after they watch this podcast. Um, but we market extremely well and show people you just follow the legs up till they hit the wings. But there's a copper band on every turkey. It doesn't matter what species it is. And I promise you, you will start recovering turkeys where I believe that turkeys and I consider them a big game animal because we all chase them so much. So like I put them in the deer and elk category. I think it's one of the, if not the number one animal that is lost, that is killed. Meaning someone shoots it and kills it. But if it flies off, we don't know where it went and we have no clue where to find it. Um, and so, and there's not usually a much of a blood trail to follow either. So this way they're right there. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. So tell me about your setup when you're turkey hunting. I heard you mention just a little bit ago about how you're, if it's the right ground blind or whatever, are you a ground blind hunter when it comes to turkey? Do you spot and stalk? Do you, do you crawl on the ground with one of those little turkey masks? What oh, yeah. do you do? We do them all. But but the one that I would tell you that I think is my favorite or our go-to is we like to climb in a double bull blind or whatever pop-up style blind. And then I also am notorious for putting turkey decoys way too close, but I keep my decoys like six or eight yards and I'm trying to shoot turkeys under 10 yards. We don't set them at 15 yards or 20 yards unless you want to shoot your turkeys at 15 or 20 yards because they're going to come to the decoys. And so I just did a seminar the other night here at our offices where we were explaining to people, quit going cheap, quit buying the, the cheap decoys, buy the best decoy that you can get some movement in there. I like, I use a strut and 360. Some states it's not legal. Sometimes you got to put string around them and move them yourself. Um, but I spend as much time trying to kill turkeys as I do an elk, a moose. I believe, I mean, it's just worth it. It's just that much fun, yeah. you know, and to get it all to work. And so typically, you know, and it'll change varying on the time of the year because we get a lot of pressured birds too. Even if we're hunting private ground, Iowa has a lot of hunters. Um, and so things will change on what decoys, typically a Jake and a hen, um, but we may go to a full strut Tom, we may go to just a hen or then there's times when I'm relying on my calling and I'm not, I don't have any decoys out. So do you rely on your calling more than you rely on, on ground blind placement, if you will? No. Like, like if you know where they're roosting, would it make more sense to set up your ground blind where they're roosting, where you know that they're roosting, or are you just successful at calling them in? And how far away do you think you can call them in from? Well, we try to close the distance as close as we can to the roosted air, roosting area. But I would tell you that probably 10% of our turkeys are killed coming off the roost. Most of the time they pitch down, they do their thing in the morning. I'm a 9.30 to 1.30 turkey killer because I'll wait on them. I'll sit there and wait and wait and I'll call every once in a while, keep them interested. They know where we're at if they've seen the decoy. So I would say, don't worry about being such a good caller, be a good scouter, be a good understander of the turkey and what they're doing and know that your decoys, I'm trying to get them to see my decoys. Once they can see the decoy, I've got one realism. They heard what they wanted to hear. Now they see what they want to see. Then if I can get movement in there, now they're seeing movement in amongst that as well. So and what? If, so so your decoy setup? What are you running? You running a hen and a jake, or what? Do you, what kind of decoys are you setting out? It changes a lot. I would tell you if I had one favorite, it's a. Um, I'll usually have a jake that's like half strutting, 
and then I have a lay down hen, something that's on the ground, and then I have another hen that's upright. And one of those decoys is I typically want to be able to move, and that's usually the, the male bird. If you don't have that movement, then the crucial thing that people got to understand, any male turkeys, you want the head facing the blind. They're gonna come, they're gonna come around to the head and they're gonna approach by the head. If it's a hen, they're gonna come to the rear. So keep that in mind because you can literally, I mean, almost to, I can tell you where I'm gonna shoot my turkey at. You know, if I, if the decoy setup is right and they're over here, I'm gonna shoot them on the left or right of the decoy right here, right there. There's no, within a foot. You know, that, that makes a lot of sense. And I think we got to start using that tactic because when they, especially with that Jake facing towards you, right? Okay. Because they're going to come around, right? Exactly like you said. And when they come around, that's your shot, right? You're not waiting for them to necessarily come around. You're, you're waiting for them to come around and, well, and are kind of hitting them as they, as they swing around. The, the goal is to sh that they got to come broadside at some point yeah. to get to that decoy's head. And when they do, that's where we're going to, you know, and, and then, and just like I told people in this seminar the other night, it's impossible for someone to teach someone when to draw. You're going to have to learn that on those turkeys. There's times when they're walking right at you that they don't see you. They're engrossed in what they're doing. There's another time when they're walking at you. If you move at all, they're going to see you. You got to be able to kind of understand that. And the snoot or the goozle that's on top of their nose, you know, when that sucker's hanging down and it's four or five inches long, I, I told the people the other night, if our wives had one of those, we would know exactly how they felt the moment we walked in the door every time. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if they'd be our wives if they had something like that was kind of hairy and long hanging off their nose, but you know, who knows? No, but I don't know. That makes sense, man. I love it. That, that makes a lot of sense. So, I mean, you just, it, it, it's so much experience and I appreciate you sharing that with us because I, we, we all love turkey. I mean, turkey's just, it, it's such a different hunt than hunting whitetail or any other species. There, you know, people, people call it, you know, like all <laughs> oh, turkeys are so dumb and all. I don't see turkeys as dumb. I really don't. Turkeys are not dumb. They just have a different sense of how they approach the situation that you're not used to of what you've always done as whitetail deer. And that's what you're used to. You know, deer are scent, hearing, probably sight last oriented, right? And turkeys are almost the opposite when, when you're talking about yeah. doing that. So it's more, to me, I think it's more of a fun hunt. I love hunting with a buddy. I love buddy hunting in that turkey blind, somebody calling, somebody shooting, that kind of thing. Um, but it, 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 I think, you know, this type of season, springtime, really gets us excited for the, for the rest of the season for hunting after turkey starts and then when deer starts. So what's your favorite? If you had to pick a species, whether that's turkey, deer, elk, moose, whatever you've hunted, what's your favorite? I, and I tell everyone, I've I had the same answer for the last 20 years and it hasn't changed at all. Anything that I can hunt with my family. I, ah, I love it. I, I freaking love turkey hunting. And then when turkey hunting, now thank God, turkey hunting, bow, uh, elk hunting and whitetail deer hunting don't all coincide because I would be at a loss on which one to do. Um, but that's where living in Montana, I got, I was fortunate that like antelope hunting, what I had to learn there was make everything, go do this one thing and then go do the other one. So I would antelope hunt. Once I killed my antelope, then I would switch to elk. Then I would dedicated elk hunting. Then I would go deer hunting. 
And the moment that you leave the house one day and you're like, oh, I'm going elk hunting today, but boy, there's a big mule deer there. You're, you're going to come home with nothing. Mm-hmm. And that comes from someone that can tell you, you're just start chasing everything around. So I don't have a favorite. I mean, I love whitetail deer hunting. Um, absolutely live for it. Um, but every bow hunter, for sure, if not every hunter, owes it to himself to hear an elk bugle at least one time. I mean, yeah, it's just, cool. there, there's something. Surprisingly, I don't know if you know this, we actually do have elk in Michigan. Yeah, no. And where, where I hunt, um, it's not far from the elk range, although they're not they're not far, but they're not down here yet. And it is amazing how far their sound travels because there, there were a couple mornings a couple of years back where I'm sitting there in the, in the tree stand, my buddy's maybe 200 yards away, 300 yards away, sitting in another spot. And all of a sudden your ears perk up because you're like, that wasn't what I just thought it was. And you're, I'm texting my buddy. I'm like, did you hear that? He's like, heck yeah, I heard that. I'm like, that's the coolest thing in the world. And you're not wrong about it. Hearing it, and it was one of those picture perfect mornings where the sun's coming out, yet it was still foggy. And then you hear that that elk bugle in the background, and it was just absolutely amazing. So you're you're absolutely right about that, and everybody owes it to hear that for sure. Absolutely. No, so tell us a, about the show. Tell us about the show itself. Sometimes I like to ask the, the process questions, but it's a little, a little more uh, different, but tell us what it's like to, to film for the show. Like, do you have a cameraman you guys use? Is it just your family who films? How does that part work? And um, do you guys find yourself, and I guess who does the editing? Is it external or do you guys do it internal? So it's kind of a combination, Dave, of, of all of the above. So it started with us filming each other, meaning the boys and Karen and I, you know, everyone running a camera. None of us were very good at it. Um, Dad was probably the leader because I've been running a camera since, I don't know, I guess when Warren's 26 now, so almost 30 years probably I've had a camera in my hand. I've just always been intrigued by it. Now I grew up in the era, and I'm telling my age, when VHS tapes were like a big deal. They were selling for 55 bucks. Yep. <laughs> you know, there was a time when, and, and this is before the outdoor channel. It started. And that's $55 back in the 80s, 90s. That's not $55 yeah. today. <laughs> yeah, those guys were raking the money in back yeah. then, you know, and, but so it started with, you know, the Nashville network, ESPN. We used to have hunting on those networks and, and before everything changed. And, so anyhow, long story short, it kind of got in my blood. Obviously, my boys are going with me. I'm filming up until probably just a couple of years ago. Now they've each killed some stuff off of video. I had every single thing that they'd ever shot on film. And someone wow. mentioned earlier, you know, you got a lot of footage probably. We're pushing 170 some terabytes of footage now for oh race. Yeah. Wow. So we've got stockpiles of footage. So when we started building raised hunting, it was, we couldn't do it ourselves. Not to, not to do it to the level of what we wanted to, what Karen and I, Karen was the one that said, it can't be a normal hunting show. It's got to be something spectacular if I'm gonna be involved. Cause she still is a full-time financial advisor. So she wanted this to be an outlet that was that good. And um, so we worked with the Modern Modern Legacy Productions is who teamed up with us, a a gentleman named Adam Jordison. He was out, he's out of Iowa. 
Um, and he and I sat down one day at a coffee shop basically and said, here, I have 10 years of footage and we don't know what we're going to do with it. I guess kind of backing up one of the stories behind it was I worked, I was a pro staffer for Primos and had been for about eight or 10 years and got in a situation where they asked me to call for elk for them. I'm there, cameraman gets sick. And so they're trying to call. I don't, I don't know what's going on. I just, next thing I know, Brad Ferris and Will Primos are on the phone trying to get a cameraman to replace this guy that's sick. And I told them, you know, I think I could run your camera if you needed to. And they're like, how would you know how to do that? And I said, well, I have one. Yours has more bells and whistles and it costs a lot more. Yeah. I'll feel bad if I drop it, but, but basically a camera is a camera. And so sure enough, I filmed at Brad Ferris's hunt. They then asked, you know, did I have any footage that they could look at? Next thing I know, some of our hunts were actually airing on, on Primos's back then Primos hunting. And that kind of opened the door for me to understand that, hey, what we've been filming is te television quality, you know, without even realizing it. And then um, we started putting all that together. And now we're at the point where we have two full-time editors in-house. We still hire out the show is done, but he's, he's local. He's not in under our regime. And then we still film each other. Uh, you know, obviously the boys are older now, so... Um, they and they have full-time jobs warren works for us he runs our raised outdoor store and easton works for us part-time but he's doing his own thing but he still hunts with us and stuff like that karen's still financial advisor so she hunts when she can and um yeah so it's kind of a you know it is truly just a family affair we're just doing what everyone else is doing we're just putting a lot more time and effort into it very cool very cool yeah so i were your kids, when you got them into hunting, did they just take to it right away? They didn't have a choice. You know, <laughs> I mean, I look at my, I have video again of my boys shooting bows at two years old. And what I mean by that, and, and maybe this is just the dad that's ate up with this, but I went and bought a Walmart bow. Everyone else gives their kid a Walmart bow with suction cups, right? Yep. Well, I took the suction cups away from them and I put one of my strings on that Walmart bow. So just a, not a compound or anything, just something that draws. But now my kids were able to shoot my arrows. And so they were heavier. So they stuck in the target. And when I did that, they were hooked because now they were like dad, you know, they, to the point where one day I, I got a three-year-old standing in my garage and he's shooting his bow. He's been out there now for like two year, two hours. And I can see him the entire time through the window from the kitchen, you know, and I'm like, well, that's good. I mean, I've got him hooked, you know, and <laughs> then I decide I better go out and said, what are you doing, bud? And he said, I'm shooting my bow and yeah, <laughs> you're, you're shooting a long time, you know, so I now open the door and look for the first time. He hasn't attempted to shoot the target. I got like oh, 150 no. holes in the sheetrock. Yes. Oh, yeah. I mean, he is, yes. That's a proud me. dad moment right there. Yeah, go, well, proud yeah. enough that him and I are trying to fix it before mom gets home. <laughs> so if you ever get something that works that well for your kids, make sure that what you think they're doing is what they're doing. Yeah, no. Yep. So I, I've made that mistake. Um, watching my kids. I was a stay at home dad for, for a little while. And, uh, 
one of the, one of the funniest stories that always comes up is, you know, I'm, I'm sitting there, I'm working on something in the house uh, with a buddy of mine. We're working on some, I think it was a plumbing issue that we were on and my, my three-year-old's downstairs and we're not far away. We're downstairs as well, but in the bathroom and all of a sudden I'm like, it's way too quiet. Right. Yeah. And you go over there and then, then I'm looking and I'm like, he, we, we used to go to like Costco or GFS and get in bulk. Right. And, uh, he found the instant mashed potatoes, <laughs> took the container out, spread it all over the floor, and then started making mashed potato angels in the middle of the floor. Oh, man. And, and I'm like, my wife's going to kill me, right? She's going to think I'm not watching the kid, which I probably <laughs> I'm not watching the kid and all that kind of stuff. I'm like, I had to clean this up quick, right? So I take out the mop. Number one rule. When cleaning up instant mashed potatoes. Don't get it wet. Don't, don't get it wet. <laughs> Didn't work out for me. It was it was like a three-hour ordeal after that to clean it all up. But yes, no, I, kid, kids are absolutely amazing. I get I make that point because kids are absolutely amazing. The things that they that they stick with and the things that they do are are awesome. But to your point, you gotta watch them. <laughs> yeah, at least you didn't have to call poison control. All right. You're good there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> No doubt. No doubt, man. So, so are you guys, so your son, your sons are working for you, all that kind of stuff. Um, where do you see this going? Like, do you, do you envision like kind of your, your sons, if, and when they have kids, and I don't know how serious about it, they are about all that stuff, but just keeping this going as, as down the family line. No, we, I mean, in that we get that, we got that question before we ever aired. Someone was like, well, how many stories will you be able to tell before you've told them all, you know? And I was like, well, as long as I'm alive and my, I'd have kids, even if my kids weren't around, I'm still a dad, I'm still going to come from that perspective. And so, yeah, the answer would be, I don't know. I know 10 years is a big, like a benchmark, you know, I'm like, we've been doing this now for nine years, 10 years is going to be really cool. I got some good ideas for some stuff maybe that we're going to get to go do that we haven't done yet and things like that. But uh, if they want to continue to do it, I think the biggest one for us, Tim, is we've started um, Raised Outdoors, which is an app slash an e-commerce store where we can offer products to people. And we are looking awesome. at right now at actually opening a physical brick and mortar where we'll have a full on archery shop in there as well. Um, and it just goes, I mean, it just makes sense because we've already got all this e-commerce merchandise there and people swing by because they see the raised hunting, Hey, raised hunting's here. You know, they'll swing in and say, Hey, could you work on my bow? Or could you fix this for me? If I had someone that could do that, you know, right there, why not do that for folks? So that makes sense. I see us probably maybe morphing into what I'd love to do is at some point build a, a full on movie. I would love to see hunting get the, the representation that it needs, that it deserves so that people outside of the hunting community would get to see it. And, and some others have tried, and I don't know if anyone's like missed the mark on what we're looking for, you know, but I do think that we have some different topics that it will, if it was done right. And I don't think that you can put to, to make a, a motion picture that has hunting in it it can't be about hunting. It would have to be about something else. And hunting is just that, that platform it. that it's based yeah. on. So yeah, love it. I, I would, we're in it. less than all we can help. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great well, idea. 
I, I think that we deserve it. Uh, and I, we deserve it as hunters and as, you know, someone, I just got so much respect for hunting because in, in a long roundabout way, hunting saved my life. I grew up in a family that was a really tough, a lot of alcohol, a lot of um, just a lot of abusive type stuff, you know, and um, I was going down the same path as the rest of them. And all of a sudden my brother introduces me to this thing called hunting and like not, I had been hunting and fishing my whole life as a little kid, but not to the extent of what my brother started to introduce me to a bow at like 13, 14 years old. And um, again, I grew up inside the beltway of Virginia. So imagine you don't, I mean, like I'm trying to kill the squirrels around the neighborhood and that was like a trophy compared to the sparrows, you know, that was, yeah. Um, and then all of a sudden, you know, I, I'll never forget an uncle telling me one time when I, cause I would go spend the night at, at, at relatives places and I would be there at 13, 14 years old, waking them up to go hunting the next morning at four 30, there was no one having to get me up. I'm ready to go. And I remember him telling me one day, you know, this will wear off, you know, you'll, you'll, you're going to get older and you're going to have a family and you're going to have work and you won't be able to do this. And I point blank was able to tell him and I can tell you I'm 53 years old now and it hasn't slowed down one bit for me if anything the passion is even deeper because I see how much life-changing it can be yeah for sure well, I agree it's how it becomes you know hunting's that way it's just addicting and you know and, and why not do it your whole life in my opinion but I mean, why not i mean there's no age limit right you can go out there with a crossbow if you have to speaking yeah. of gear though so tell us about your bow setup like what are you hunting with this year for your for your compound well that's normally easy to tell you but uh now with this shoulder thing going on i'm normally i shoot 70 pounds and we've been working with bear for out of the nine years, I think we've been with them for eight of the nine. We weren't there the first year as we were finding our way, but I've been a bear. I'm a Fred Bear fanatic. You know, I just felt like seeing this guy, gentleman see the vision that some of these guys from years ahead of us had. Um, and so being able to work with them has been super. So uh, typical bow setup for me and Warren are pretty much the same. Um, I might be a, about a half inch longer draw length, but um we're shooting i'm shooting the refine which is bear's newest bow um at 70 pounds and this thing shoots like unbelievable it shoots darts um and i just had shoulder surgery this is the second one that i've had in two years on two different shoulders and i cannot pull 70 pounds right now so i got the bow down to 60 pounds and i was pretty worried that when you go bring your bow down like that that you're going to lose some reliability you know or consistency and I don't think I've lost anything at all. I'm shooting about a 410 grain arrow. Um, I shoot expandables. There's another one, Tim, that you know will be able to go out there because you'll see me put videos out. And I'll tell people because I know it's a big topic and 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 an argue, argumentative topic. And but I've probably killed not not probably I'm sure I've killed more big game animals now with an expandable broadhead than I have with a with a. Um, fixed blade and i've killed them with both uh, i'm not here to advocate either one here that's I'm, it we're gonna fight i'm just kidding yeah. well here <laughs> but i'll tell someone that i learned a long time ago it's not about they don't make the broadhead that everyone's looking for and that's the one that really truly helps you kill things when you make a bad shot yeah 
They don't. They, they, no, so that's a great point. I, I mean, a bad shot will screw you. You'll get screwed up on a bad shot no matter what. Yeah, and yep. yet so many people will blame the broadhead. You know, yep. well, daggone, I hit him right square in the in front of the ham, and I can't figure out why this broadhead didn't do its job. <laughs> yeah, well, let's go back to the video replay, Bob. Yeah. I'm with you on the expandables. <laughs> I'm with you, Dave. That's well, me. The, the thing for me on the expandables, Jay, was um, – what happened was Warren and, and Karen were both young. Warren was young. Karen was um, just kind of getting into bow hunting and the two of them were shooting phenomenal. I mean, I, you know, and at this time I'm at the fire department, but I'm, I have always worked on our bows myself. And mm. so I'm trying to get three bows all set up and all dialed in. And sure enough, I finally get to a year where both of them are just, they've been shooting great all summer. They're crushing everything. And then they both, I said, hey, we got about three weeks until the season. Let's throw some broadheads on here. One of them was tailing a little left. The other one was tailing a little right or a little low. I'm like, no worries. We just adjust the sight a little bit and you're good to go. I crushed both of their confidence. They both did not understand. They're like, what are you doing? Why, mm-hmm. why my sight has been on for four months. And now you're telling me we're going to move it because I'm putting a broad and I'm like, well, that's because I don't have time to like truly fine tune this bow. And so that's what really started me down the um, expandable place. Because when I put an expandable on for them, they shot exactly the same yeah. place as their field points. Yep. And then mm-hmm. the confidence level on both of them went through the roof. And if I would rather have an arrow right behind the shoulder or right in the shiny spot and know we're going to make this happen as opposed to them missing by four or five inches left or right right and even though technically we have a better head on there um it it didn't work for us and that's so- only because you don't like the tracker near 400 yards like us <laughs> <laughs> if i could keep from it i i would love to not have to yeah. do that so anyhow- it's a passion of ours but but not a wanted passion <laughs> gotcha that's why i got a tracking dog i got there you go there you go <laughs> I love it, man. Yeah, well, so listen, bears I, got I, bears got you set up though. They got the crossbows ready if you need them. So yeah, that's true. There, it looks like you guys are working with NAP. Is that still going? Yeah, NAP is so NAP products. One of our uh, again, they've been with us for years, and and it, I mean, when people ask me what broadhead do you shoot, and I get it asked a lot, like the Hellraiser. There's a fixed blade broadhead. Absolutely love it. Um, and and I use a lot of comparisons, not necessarily from me. But like Karen only pulls 50 pounds, but yet she shoots clean through an elk. But now yeah. she's done that with both an expandable and a fixed blade broadhead. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I shoot the Spitfire three blades. You are on. There she is now. Hey. Hey. Hi. Hello. Ears are burning. <laughs> uh oh. So now she's going to sit down and like scare all of us. I have a. She's bronzy. What? She got, that, the shiny <laughs> spot is literally on her face. <laughs> they had no idea this was coming. <laughs> I absolutely love it. I, I love it. So, so they, honestly, though, no, he's talked about you all night, said you've taught him everything that he really knows about hunting. He couldn't be here without you. I mean, that's all we've heard all night long, honestly. Yeah. Good cover up. <laughs> <laughs> no but I was now can we come hunt some turkeys 
Now, I will go back, though. Tim, you made fun, said, you know, you don't know if you would let your wife go with you. Hey, and, hey, hey, well, that's okay. You can say that because my wife's not going to watch this anymore. Well, but my, my, <laughs> my boys know this, and everyone has heard me say it right there. Silver, gold, bronze, whatever color she's got on. That is my favorite hunting partner. I love it. It always has been. I've always enjoyed. We have more fun together when we're doing it than I, I don't know what it is. You know, I got some guy. Warren is the best shot in the house. I mean, if, if, if I know that we need to like, we need to be on to point here and we're going to be in a place where we might have to take a tough shot. I want Warren. But when I just want to hunt and I want to enjoy hunting and I want to, whether we're hunting deer, elk or turkeys or whatever, there's who I reach to. That's who I want going with me, you know, and it's always been that way for me. Um, even back what to what those guys call me. Um, I don't know. The unintentional jokester. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, there is a I'm lot of, a lot of comedy comes out of Karen going with me. Okay. So, so couple, couple I, I want some guidance here, right? When you're going hunting together, how do you decide who's shooting, who's calling or who's filming? Like, What's that discussion like? Is it drawing straws? Is it flipping coins? What are we doing? The, the only arguing, the only one that you really get an argument from is Warren. Warren wants to be the shooter <laughs> all the time. He doesn't want to run a camera. He won't do a very good job running the camera. And I think that's intentional. That's the same way I do dishes. I was like, <laughs> that's the exact same way I do dishes and laundry. It's intentionally that I don't do them well. Right. I don't put them in the right, the right way because then I don't have to do it. You know, that makes oh. sense. Yeah. So, but no, I mean, I guess for me, I've always taken the back seat because I, I know what it's like. I know how nice much fun it is. And See you later. Nice she, meeting you. You know, if I wanted her to kill an elk, then the only way she's going to get to experience that is to be the shooter or yeah, put right. the boys up there first, or, uh, you know, we're going over to Nebraska and I'm talking about, I'm so pumped, you know, and tomorrow we'll be setting up blinds. Yet I got a buddy that he's killed one turkey with his bow. And that was last year that I called in for him. And I'll guarantee you, I'm going to put him up first. And yeah. it's just what I do, you know, and it's yeah. because it's, there's something about watching your friend or, you know, even a loved one, or it doesn't yeah. matter who it is, whether I know him or whether I don't know him. It's just being able to sit back and watch. Not everyone has the, the ability or the time or the effort to do what I've done, Karen will flat tell you, I communicate better with animals than I do with people. Um, and, and I spend I a lot you. of time. I feel you. Yeah, yeah no well, doubt. I do. It. But, but I think, I think it's true. I mean, it, it, it's, it's one of those in which, you know, when, when you're out in a, when you're out in the field and you're seeing that joy on somebody else's face. And I, I think all the guys here will say it. I honestly love watching other people enjoy it more than I do. That to me is one of the, whether it's my kid, whether it's Jamie's kid shooting his first deer, whether it's Dave's kid or Jay's kids, it is just such an amazing thing to watch somebody else's joy and, and you get to experience that with them. You know what I mean? I can have my own joy. Like I shoot my own deer. I'm by myself but I'm screaming to nobody. 
You know what I mean? Like I'm sitting there and I'm excited and nobody's sitting there going, good job, Tim. And until they see the video and how sweet the shot was. Okay. When, um, when my son shot his first deer, all right, I had it. I screwed the video footage up. So I was trying to do it to, to you know, have that memory. But hard when do. he shot his first deer, I was like, it was more exciting than when I got my deer. And this was just a, it was a yearling. It was his yeah. first deer. He, he, he shot it with a bow, you know. And I and, I'm, and he looks at me. He's like, "What's wrong with you, Dad? Calm down." <laughs> <laughs> he's telling you to calm down. Yeah, I love I'm like, it. I I'm love like, it. what the heck's going on here? I'm like, man, I got to get my stuff together here. We got to go track this thing still. Yeah, but it was awesome. Like you said, Tim, I agree with you. I mean, I was more excited for that than probably any other it year is. I've taken personally. It I, is, and David, David, like what you said earlier. I mean, it is such a blessing to see you being able to share that with everybody else and be able to live the lifestyle that you do with your family. Okay. That is that, I mean, and you've said it and you know it, but it is, it's an amazing feeling to be able to share that with your family. Um, wife's well, my wife's gone, so we're good. Uh, <laughs> wife's aside, but uh, that, no, it's, it's absolutely <laughs> awesome. man. No, it's very cool. I mean, and I, and just so you guys know, get a tripod or put that camera on something because ain't none of us holding it steady when your heart will start pounding so hard that your hands are shaking. It still happens to me today. When I, when I watch one of these other kids shoot a doe, you know, cause I know what they're feeling. I know their anticipation, you know, it's so much fun to watch these kids just lose it. And I, yeah. and I mean, the gentleman I'm talking about that's going with me last year, Two years ago, I took him to Florida and he did not kill a turkey. He froze. We had two Toms come in and they're beating on the decoys. And I'm like engrossed in the camera. I'm trying to make sure I got everything ready. And I'm glancing out of one eye until I look over and I'm like, Marty, you got to draw. He's just sitting there with his bow in his hand. And he was so, like, he was like, oh my gosh, I never expected this. I love it. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. I love it, man. Well, listen, I, I feel like we could honestly talk for six more hours, but I know that you got to travel out. You're doing Turkey tomorrow morning. You said uh, we got some more recordings to do, but we have to have you back on, man. It's been such a pleasure. Not, not only, I mean, just the conversation in general, but your knowledge of the hunting and what you do and how you do it and the explanations that you give have been absolutely phenomenal, man. And I just appreciate you showing up tonight. So thank you so much. Thank Thank you you guys for having me. I'd be honored to come back. Maybe we'll get Warren along with me, you know, so, or Easton, either one or Karen when she's not gold faced or whatever. So, Oh yeah. We're getting some (laughs) some embarrassing stories next time. That's what we're going to dive into. We're all about it. If you can't make fun of yourself, who can you make fun of? You got it. You got it, man. Thanks, well, man. thank you so much. All right, guys. Thank Bye. you. Good luck, Dave. Later. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Place your money line, prop, 
or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success.